Welcome to Common Thread. We hope you find these lessons helpful, but also we'd like to get to know you. If you go to our website slash newcomer, we'll send you an email, some things to read about the community, and an invitation to a personal chat. If you're here in Raleigh, maybe face-to-face, -face, if not, on Zoom. We hope you will. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. Okay, here's the lesson. Okay, we're good, we're good. Thank you. Okay, well, good morning. Um, when Maria gets back here, she's gonna flip the screen because we're gonna put our what are you thinking questions up here uh, for you to be thinking about during the lesson and we'll talk about it a little bit after. Um, so the first question is, have you had an experience of confession or some kind of personal moral inventory that you found to be perf you know, particularly efficacious or did you find it worthless? moderately helpful, and uh, what was that like? And if you haven't yet engaged with Common Thread's version of confession, what's stopping you? Maybe you don't know about it. That's what we're gonna talk about today. So, keeping with uh, Doug's current theme of reclaiming treasure, I'd like to start out by asking with a show of hands, how many of you were raised Catholic? Okay. And um, now, how many of you have at least seen a movie where a guy dressed like this sits on the other side of a screen in the dark corner of a church while the person on the other side of the screen starts off by saying, bless me, Father, for I have sinned. Show of hands. Okay, that's pretty much everybody. So, you know, if that's the case, then nearly everyone in here is at least passingly familiar with the Roman Catholic practice of confession, sometimes referred to as the sacrament of reconciliation or penance. And for the un uninitiated, it goes something like this. You kneel down beside the screen of the confessional in the corner of the dark church and announce clearly to the priest that you're a sinner. After asking for the priest's blessing, he tells you to rattle off your list of sins, venial sins, mean, meaning the everyday kind, such as losing your patience or gossiping. They should be listed, but they're not as important as the mortal kind, such as adultery or murder, the ones that'll send you straight to hell if you are unrepentant. And once you're done with the list, the priest may or may not have some helpful advice for how not to sin again, and after you express regret and promise to do better, the priest forgives the sins, gives you a penance, usually an instruction to go say a bunch of Hail Marys or something, that's been my experience anyhow, and then you're good, forgiven, clean slate, ready to slide right into heaven should you cross the street after confession and find yourself hit by a bus. If you don't get hit by a bus, well, you're clean until the next impure thought crosses your mind, and then you're right back in mortal danger and in need of another confession. Now, this doesn't really seem like the sort of treasure we here at Common Thread want, might want to reclaim, does it? <laughs> this, this heavy emphasis on sin, which we insist is not that big a deal. The priest stepping in to mediate God's grace when our core tenet is that the divine is right here inside of us. The idea that we can just regretfully list our failings say a few prayers, and then be as good as if we'd never failed at all? I mean, polls suggest that 98% of Catholics don't even bother with confession anymore, and it's not surprising given how it tends to play out. Here's the thing, though. Common Thread has already reclaimed this treasure, and in fact, the way we do it bears real fruit and hews much closer to the original intent than the versions passed down to us through the centuries by the church. I say versions, plural, because it's not actually been all that consistent over time. Before Constantine made Christianity the official religion of Rome, the proper form of confession was hotly debated, 
But they worked out practices to do it because as a tight-knit group of people on an eternal mission, they understood that some form of heartfelt confession and authentic reconciliation was critical to the growth of their spiritual community. You might be surprised to learn, as I was, that the Imperial Roman Church didn't require people who weren't monks to engage with this practice in any formal way until the 13th century. Catholic children weren't expected to begin confessing their sins until the year 1910 because it was widely believed, rightly so I'd say, that young children cannot sin in any meaningful way. And that confessional itself, that box that creates a barrier between the penitent and her confessor, well, that wasn't a thing until an Italian cardinal in the Middle Ages was outraged by the accusations of sexual misconduct lodged against his priests, and he thought the box would better protect the penitents. And as we all know, that initiative failed in spectacularly tragic fashion. And yet, for all the permutations over time and current rigidity of the institutional practice, Deep in our hearts, we know this process of identifying our failings and making amends is a deeply human and necessary exercise. Culturally, we tend to think of confession as mostly a Catholic thing, but the Eastern Orthodox, the Anglicans, the Lutherans, all Christian denominations claim some sort of practice for the confession and absolution of sin. Buddhist monks are bound to a regular practice of confession with each other. The Jews have Yom Kippur, the Muslims call it Tauba, the Hindus call it this word here that I can't pronounce. And even Alcoholics Anonymous know the deal and devote several of their 12 steps to it. We must make a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves, admit to our higher power, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs, and be humbly and entirely ready to have our higher power remove all these defects of character. So when you see something, like, something across traditions like this, you've got to think there's something to it. Now, over the centuries, sometimes folks got it right. St. Ignatius, the founder of the Jesuits, caught on to the deeper truths in the 16th century when he introduced the examine of consciousness, a practice which Doug has shared with us quite a bit. And it's an excellent practice. I commend it to all on a daily basis, and perhaps most especially, I commend it to myself because I'm not very good with the consistency there. But what if it could go deeper than this? What if it's not just about a list of sins or a personal internal reflection? What if there were something we could do that not only addresses the actions we take and then regret, but also explores the things under the things that keep us stuck in patterns that hamper our personal development, impede our spiritual growth, and negatively impact our relationships and the world around us? Well, we can. We call it our self-awareness practice, and it's straight out of our ancient wisdom tradition. Paul writes in Romans 7.15, For what I am doing I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate. This is one of those scriptural verses that we all can relate to regardless of our faith background or lack thereof. When we don't take the time or have the tools to really become more aware of our habituated patterns, our troublesome motivations, and the negative reactions that come when we experience afflictive emotions, there is no way we can understand why we do the things we do. And if we can't understand them, it's damn near impossible to change them. So the practice itself is pretty straightforward. You identify an incident that has evoked in you some kind of negative emotion, which often leads to behavior that is less than ideal. You answer a bunch of questions about it, then you sit down with a trained listener and unpack the hell out of it. Here's an example, an example from one of my most recent forays into self-awareness. One evening, a few months back, I made a comment to Maria about wanting a salad for dinner, and she made a face. 
Her response, I thought, reflected irritation with me. In fact, I didn't know it at the time, but it was a face of unwarranted self-recrimination. So in that instance, I blurted out, okay, now what did I do wrong? <laughs> Predictably, this led to conflict. <laughs> Inner turmoil, and yes, my, uh, my apologizing and our reconciling. However, there was still something unsettled in me about it, so I decided to use this small incident as the catalyst for some self-awareness. I sat down with my listener and went through the questions, or the worksheet, as we used to call it. What do I like about myself, he asked. Well, that's easy. I'm capable, I'm patient, I'm thoughtful, understanding, supportive. Well, what don't you like about yourself? Uh, well, I can be defensive, obtuse, distracted, reactive, impulsive. Hard to admit sometimes, but it was definitely true. And that set the stage for telling my story and breaking down how I responded to the incident. When Maria made that face, my rational brain shut down and my lizard brain took over. My chest felt tight, my adrenaline kicked in, I was ready to fight, and so I said what I said in the combative way that I said it. Why? Because in that moment, I felt accused, criticized, and inept. This paved the way for the story I told myself about that incident. I am always messing up around here. Funny thing is, that story wasn't just about that incident, and it never is. As we delve next into the things under these things, I came to uncover and admit some fears I hadn't been in touch with. Oh, and we Enneagram 8s hate to admit that we are afraid of anything. <laughs> <laughs> but of course we are, and my image was certainly threatened in this incident. I realized I had this deep-seated fear of being seen as incompetent, particularly by someone as supremely competent as my wife. I had this fear of not being useful when she is as handy as they come. The further we went down this path, I realized even my very sense of being loved and lovable came into question. The things under the things were pressing me to answer, what if I mess up so much around here that she finally has enough of this? What if I lose her love? And even deeper, since this relationship is where I know God's love most deeply, what if it turns out I'm not lovable enough even for God? When we begin to see the things under the things, we start to understand. We see patterns. Have I felt this way before? Why? Yes, I have. And so I saw a pattern that I named the defensive dragon. When I believe I'm always messing up in the home I share with my beloved, it threatens my image of who I believe myself to be as a capable and supportive spouse, which leads me to become defensive and unthinking when I reactively move to protect that image, which leads to errant thinking and the thought that I am a worthwhile spouse only when I am competent. Well, my listener asked, is this true? Of course not. And who would you be without this thought? Who would I be without that thought? I sat with that for a few minutes, and what I ultimately landed on was, I would be more fully who I truly am. Someone who my wife loves more than anyone ever has with zero regard for any degree of competence, and someone who could not possibly ever, under any circumstance, escape the common thread of divine love because it's all around me, right here in my home, and all the people in my life, animating the cosmos and even right here within me. When I told her about my session later, Maria helpfully added, and without that thought, you would also be a better spouse. 
<laughs> this was three months ago, and I can say with conviction, I haven't had that thought since. Who have I been without this thought? I've been much more curious in my marriage when something triggering comes on the scene, allowing me to inquire with kindness rather than react with anger. I've been much less reactive when something does trigger me. And in fact, I have been much less triggered generally and just as competent or incompetent as ever, which was never the actual thing in the first place. The salad had nothing to do with it either, as it turns out. Maria would vouch for my being a better spouse, and this new way of being has expanded to other relationships as well, at work, with other family members, good friends, ultimately enabling me to show forth more of the fruits of the spirit that aren't my identity, but emerge from the divine spark within me, that same divine spark that is within all of us, and in this case, especially the fruits of the spirit, such as patience, kindness, and self-control. Circling back to the concept of sin, what sin actually means is missing the mark. And I clearly missed the mark in this incident. But I missed the mark because of things under things that were driving unconscious behaviors that I couldn't address without uncovering it and understanding them. I am not saying that the formal sacrament of confession as it's done in other traditions, including my own Catholic one, is worthless. I've even had positive experiences with it myself. But if all I had done was go to confession at any of the local Catholic parishes around here, I might have heard words of forgiveness for doing this one reactive and hurtful thing, said a few Hail Marys to atone, and maybe I would have felt better. But I would have struggled mightily and probably failed repeatedly to not do it again. With this reclaimed version of confession, though, damn, it has changed me. So I know many of you have engaged with our self-awareness practice. Many of you have not. And there have been a lot of new folks joining us in the past few years who are certainly aware of it, but perhaps not too familiar with it. So this document that we have out here uh, has the process. It can take you through the similar process yourself. And I invite you to take some time to identify an incident in your own life to explore and answer the questions alone. But you can't do this alone. And that's where it gets a little sticky for some people, understandably so, because none of us wants to be vulnerable to have other people see our shadow sides so clearly. But that's where the magic happens, when you work through this with a trained listener. And here's why this is so important. Christy heads up self-awareness here at Common Thread, and she has lots of experience with listening. Recently, she had a session with someone who agreed to share his experience anonymously, and here, of some, and here is some of what he had to say to her and Doug about it. Christy did an amazing job of listening and providing very helpful feedback. I felt like I was drinking from a fire hose when she spoke, not because she was speaking so much, but because much of it was like a foreign language for me, but I knew it was deep truth. I spent my entire life going to church, and for a good chunk of my life, I was one of those people in church two or three times a week. When I stopped going about two and a half years ago, I didn't miss it at all, and I thought I would never go back, as in, like, a thousand horses couldn't drag me back. For years, I had been asking the question, does Christianity even work? Because for all of the time I spent in Bible study and prayer, I didn't think it was doing anything to transform me. I didn't see that it was transforming others, and it sure as hell wasn't transforming the city, country, or world. Or if it was, it wasn't for the better. Well, I'd still be very hard-pressed to say that now I think Christianity works, but I do believe that personal growth, even transformation, can occur. But it's much more likely to occur through the model at Common Thread and through the work of people like you two. 
That's the power of oneness over twoness, of empathetic listening and guidance, of being truly seen and heard, of having another friend on the journey helping us to see what we simply cannot see ourselves. So here's Christy and the faces of a few of our trained listeners, some of whom you could speak to today after the service or reach out to on our website if you want to make an appointment. Nothing a common thread is ever an obligation. It's only an invitation. But I hope this is one you will accept because engaging with this practice regularly will change you much, much for the better. And you too will find those fruits of the spirit shining forth in your life more fully, healing wounds deep within you, restoring the relationships all around you, and nourishing our planet with grace, hope, and love. And so in Dwelling Divine, may we seek always to reckon deeply with our failings, to understand the patterns that lead to the behaviors we regret, to grow in hope and love, and to repair our relationships with each other so that we can continue to grow ever deeper into our more. charge as repairers of <laughs> our world. You, Amen. If you would, please prepare your offerings. We all give online now. The donate button is on our website at the top. Lots of options, lots of ways to give. If you're here in Raleigh or if you're far away, we do invite you to take an ownership stake in the community every week. And we say it all the time, there is good return when we invest in community. Because we give our love and we give our time and we give our energy and we give our dollars. And then the community takes those resources, amplifies them and gives them back to us in the form of a community in which we thrive, an environment, a context in which we flourish and grow. So, uh, like I said, on our website, uh, we all give, we care for the community that way. In a minute, we're going to dismiss those of you on the live stream, and here in the room, we're going to do What Are You Thinking? And we hope you'll join us online to do What Are You Thinking? on Zoom. You'll find the link on the front page of our website, and the password is 1417. 1417. Uh, so you can head over there in just a minute. As soon as we dismiss, it's a great way to connect and a good way to build community. So if you would, let's uh, join together and dismiss the folks online by putting our hands on our hearts. And let's remember that we are, every one of us, carriers of the indwelling divine. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, it's in there. What some folks call our better angels, our altruistic center, we carry that within. Well, let's look this week, extend your other hand to our city, for opportunities to share what's already in us with the people that we live and work and go to school with, looking for opportunities to repair and heal our worlds. Amen. God bless you all. You are dismissed. Those of us in the room not dismissed, what we're going to do is... Connect with you in real life. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. And if you'd like to take an ownership stake in the well-being of the community, we all contribute online. You'll find a donate button at the top of our website. See you next time. We'd love to connect with you in real life. CommonThreadChurch.org slash newcomer. And if you